0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to be with you for this episode. I wanted to get back in the rhythm of doing regular Tears podcasts because I enjoy them a lot and I think it's a good way of thinking about the entire league. And... The person I want to have on, partially because he did this recently and partially because he covers the whole league, is Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post. And we did something a little bit different this time. We did the entire league. So this is West and East all meshed together, all 30 teams. And I thought that was a good exercise at this point, just because we're getting close to the trade deadline. So how you think about competitiveness, it can actually be good in that way, like who the bottom is, who the top is, who are the real contenders. And so lots of interesting ideas in there. And this is a rare ad-free episode of it. It's just the way it happened in terms of cycling through different things. So podcast runs about an hour. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Anytime, buddy. Happy to do it. You and I talked on Monday night about doing uh Tears podcast, and we decided to do the entire league, which is fun. I, I bounced around between doing league and, and specific sections, but... You can kind of go with whatever criteria you want, whether it's team quality, right right now is a little bit strong, but or end of the year, any of that kind of stuff. But to me, at this point, despite all of their issues with top guys in terms of injuries, the Warriors are still in a tier by themselves pretty much however you slice this.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I, I did the same exercise for my newsletter for Monday, which I think in part is why you asked me to do it. And um, I, I've had the Warriors by themselves really for the better part of 18 months now from the moment Kevin Durant decided to sign with them. I mean, if you go back and look, yeah, there's other great teams in the league, whether you talk about the Cavs or the Spurs or the Rockets or the Celtics or whoever, but there's a little doubt in my mind that Golden State avoids any serious injury between now and Uh, mid-June. It's going to take some kind of, you know, otherworldly, set of circumstances for them to not come away with the second straight championship I mean they just have such a, a massive talent disparity over everybody else you look over the last six weeks right Steph Curry misses about a month the Warriors then ratchet up the defense have the best defense in the league when he's out then he comes back and Kevin okay, Durant is missing time and Steph is you know back to making threes all the time and the Warriors look like the 73 win team again I mean they just have such a preponderance of weapons really on both sides of the ball that, that like, to your point I just think it it would take some completely unforeseen set of circumstances for them to be challenged this year, unless you know they do have some kind of serious injury situation that, that radically alters the way they look right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've seen what that could be, because when Curry <laughs> sprained his MCL back in 2016, that was, you know, a, a partially compromised Warriors team, and Kevin Durant wasn't on that team, but that's kind of the way it could go, and so they just played their 41st game, so the halfway point was Monday night when they beat the Nuggets. They played 21 games with all four of their all-stars together. And they're still thirty-three and eight, still have the best record in the NBA, and they're the most talented team. So yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it. The other thing, since you are the czar of the NBA media straw poll, I wanted to ask you if you thought there was any
0: <laughs>
1: reasonable pathway that with the time he's already missed, and you know presumably he'll miss a few more for, for maintenance-type stuff over the year, is there a reasonable way that Curry could win MVP, or has he already basically missed too much time?
0: I frankly think the, the race is already over. I, I think that the injury to James Harden, I think, has put LeBron James in a position where unless he either gets hurt Seriously, for the first time in his entire career, or the Cavs, you know, fall off a cliff and win 44, 45 games, I think he's going to win the award. I mean, if you if you go back, I, I did a straw poll at the first quarter through the first quarter of the season, which you were a part of, and I'll probably do one again in about a month, and so we get about to the halfway point, right around the trade deadline. It was already basically a two-person race between James Harden and LeBron James, and that was with the, the, the Rockets, you know, essentially playing, you know, the best ball of anybody in the league. They were right right in line with Golden State for the best record in the league. And, and then the Rockets lost a few games. Then Harden gets hurt. They're probably really going to struggle this month. Uh, he's probably going to miss, I think, a month. I mean, he, he hurt his hamstring, and it was a reevaluation in two weeks. That usually means you get reevaluated in a couple weeks should probably come back a couple weeks after that, being you know fairly realistic about the timeline, maybe even a hair conservative. So if you're talking Harden misses a month, I just don't see how even he's going to get in the mix. So no, I, I don't think that I think Curry and Durant both, you know, they as good as both of them are, I think they cancel each other out in terms of the MVP race. And I, I really think that you know, barring barring some kind of first time injury or real collapse by the Cavs. I just, to me, I think it's all set up for LeBron to win that fifth MVP and and kind of, you know, get that narrative behind him because I just, it's not a super strong field this year. And uh, I just think he's really going to have a lot of people kind of defaulting to him, you know, for lack of a better option.
1: The other big thing that at this point LeBron has going for him, and this might not even matter because he might just be so far ahead, is that it seems hard to imagine people putting him below second. Whereas with Steph... And Giannis, maybe right. you could see people putting them third and fourth, and so you just LeBron, even if he's you know like close in terms of first place votes, will just have will have it on, on the plurality of ballots because it'll just be no lower than second on anybody. So I don't think it's going to be that close as of right now, but I do think there's a slight opening just because I don't think LeBron's going to play you know every game moving forward. Uh, but but I think especially because the narrative stuff runs with him, like this is a year where at this point it looks like every. Things pulling in the same direction, and that direction is LeBron James. But we can move on from that to Tier 2, and I had some real trouble with this at a couple different parts, just with really who to include and who not to include. And what I ended up with was the two teams that I think have the best shot of knocking off the Warriors, you know, better, let's say, better than a puncher's chance. And for me, Houston is still number one. They are missing James Harden, obviously, and I don't know where they're going to be in terms of regular season record, but this is focusing more on kind of ceiling and upside So they are number two to me. I think that they're they're the second best team in the league at full strength. And then the other team in this tier is Cleveland. Isaiah Thomas has looked. Obviously, it's a long way between now and... When all of this is gonna matter, but it's still it, it's a data point you know that he's been moving the wood pretty well physically and doing it with three months left of the regular season in particular is a good thing and Cleveland they have so much talent I mean Kevin Love is having another nice year playing mostly center, and so I think that they're they're in this camp where I think they're a they're very likely to make the finals over the other teams. I think they have a much better shot for reasons I'm sure we'll get into, but also I think that they have a better shot should they make it than the other teams in the Eastern Conference do. So that really is why those two, Houston and Cleveland, comprise my tier two.
0: I've gone back and forth on this. The first time I did this tiers ranking, which is around the quarter poll of the season for the post, I-, I had the Rockets by themselves in that second tier for the same reason as you. I thought that they were the only team that could really keep up with Golden State from an offensive standpoint that also had the ability to be good enough defensively to at least give the Warriors trouble. Since then, though, I've dropped them down. I actually only have Cleveland in my second tier, which I know is kind of weird because I'm I'm not even as high on Cleveland as past teams necessarily. But I just think the Cavs are still clearly to me, even with their issues, use the heavy favorite to make the finals and play Golden State again. And watching Houston play Oklahoma City, watching Houston play San Antonio, I, I just wonder about them in the postseason. Now, you're 100% right. They haven't been healthy for a while. Losing Luka Mute, even though he's not a guy that you know, maybe the average NBA fan really knows about or thinks about, really hurt them a lot. The combination of him and, and P.J. Tucker on the court at the same time really was a big reason why Houston's defense was so good. Early in the year. They obviously haven't had James Harden and Chris Paul together much at all, which, you know, is is clearly not going to be, you know, a, a great sign for a team putting, having a lot of success. But I just think that, you know, Harden needs to show me in the playoffs, that he isn't a guy that can get shut down, right? And and you see him, like, you see them play Oklahoma City. And with Andre Robertson and Paul George, the Thunder have two guys that they, the long, athletic, physical guys that they can throw at Harden for 48 minutes. and, And I could see Harden really struggling. And for as much as, for as great as Chris Paul is, and remains that team is clearly going to go as far as Harden can take, and I just wonder if in a playoff series where there's the right matchup on him, whether it's the Spurs or Kawhi Leonard, whether it's the Thunder with with Robertson and, and George, uh, even Jimmy Butler with the Wolves, oh, I, I think they would beat the Wolves in a series. I, I think I need to see Harden prove it to me after seeing him run into some trouble with some of these these teams that they could face in the, the second round of the playoffs. So uh, that's why I've dropped him down a little bit. But I but if if, they, if he can't. Prove that to me. I do think that you're right. That I would say the the Rockets have probably the second highest ceiling of any team if it works out right. But I, just over the last month or so, I've really started to wonder if they can actualize it. So that's why I have them down a tier and the Cavs by themselves in tier two.
1: When you were talking, it made me realize that it's very possible, considering everything that. I've been separating Harden a little bit too much from his fellow shooting guard from LA, DeMar DeRozan, who has similarly struggled against really good perimeter defenders in the playoffs. And Harden has made it further. You know, those teams have, you know, the Rockets made made a conference. Actually, I guess that's not necessarily true. They each made some conference finals, some second rounds, all that kind of stuff. It's just because because we've seen DeRozan get shut down by Paul George in that series. And the point you brought up that's interesting, because I had been talking about this, I may have even talked about this with you, that DeRozan's going to have, and he's having a wonderful season, we'll talk about him a little bit later. But there are fewer perimeter defenders now in the East than there were. And that's because they're all in the West, and you're right that Harden basically not only are like Kawhi and Danny Green and then the the Thunder guys, but also the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors, Durant did a wonderful job on him when they played last year in in various games just because his length, he doesn't have to get into all of Harden's stuff. Also, they have intense familiarity with each other because they were teammates what feels like a lifetime and a half ago. So yeah, I think that's an interesting point, and, and Chris Paul is going to be such an important factor in that. I have them and Cleveland there just all, kind of on the idea of ceiling, and with Cleveland, I talked about this a little bit with Nate on Dunked On when we did the 15 and 60. I completely understand why they've been going with at Center in their starting and primary lineups for a while now, but I worry that it's going to be one of those circumstances where it can get them a long way. But it can't get them to the finish line. I don't think they can beat either the Rockets or the Warriors with love at center because they just can't stop anybody consistently enough. But I think they can get to that point. And so that gives Ty Lu a really big tactical thing. Is he going to set this all up so that they're ready to compete with whoever they could theoretically face in the final? Should they get there? But I think they're the favorites too. Or will they just be like, hey, we can get through everything and then we'll figure it out. And I have no idea how he's going to handle that.
0: Well, you know what's interesting, Danny, is that I think you're right that I don't think they can guard uh, with love at the center well enough to win. But I also don't think they can guard well enough any other way. So uh, I almost think that they have to kind of play the way that people just think that Mike D'Antoni's team's always play, even though it's not really true. And they need to just basically try to have the best offense they possibly can and just hope they can outscore the other team. Because, I, I mean, I think you're right. I, I think with at Center, if they're playing an optimized Golden State team that could just run Curry pick and rolls with Draymond or, or Kevin Durant or whoever and you know, kind of get love out on the perimeter and move it around and and take advantage of them out there. I think that it's going to be too much for, for the Cavs to overcome, but the Cavs just don't have very many good defensive players anymore. Right. Like go through their roster. They're going to start Isaiah Thomas. He stinks on defense. They're, they're probably going to start Jared Smith, the shooting guard. He's taking a big step back. LeBron can still be a good defender, but he's obviously now 33. He's not putting out the same effort he had on every night. He's going to play better in the playoffs because he's going to ramp it up then, but he's still, you know, he's not what he was four or five years ago. Jay Crowder is a very solid defender. If We're talking like their optimal lineup, right? Jay Crowder is a very solid defender, but I wouldn't say he's elite. You know, if you want to play a guy like Tristan Thompson, Tristan Thompson's a good defender, but he, I, I don't think anybody looks at him and, thinks of him as a all world defensive player. He's a nice player, but the, the, the limitations he brings on offense are, are maybe even more pronounced. than what Kevin loves limitations on defense are against an elite team like old or Houston. So, it's an interesting debate, but to me, I almost think they've just got to say, you know what, we're just going to try to win 140-135, to 135, and it's probably not going to work, but it's a lot better off. We're a lot better off trying to do that than trying to have a team that can't really play any defense, attempt to guard people, that can't stop anyway.
1: That's an interesting idea, and you, you could just be right that it, it, it kind of it, that it is their best path forward. And something that I'm going to be watching closely in the Martin Luther King Day game against the Warriors is whether – with Steph Curry out there, which changes some of these things structurally, whether Jay Crowder can do a good enough job on Durant. I think he did a good enough job on Christmas, but he'll have to do that again to really make me think, okay, that element of it, because I still don't think they have anybody who can guard Steph, but if they have somebody who can kind of keep Durant there so LeBron can play free safety or however you want to define it, that would help them. But you're right that there might just not be enough that they can do there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and just just go through Cleveland's roster, right? Like, Kyle Korver has been maybe their second most important player this year, or third most important player, right? When you look at when they've been making these comebacks and winning games or just when they're playing well or when they're playing badly, it generally correlates to when Kyle Corver's knocking down shots or when he's not. Kyle Korver can't guard anybody on the court in a Golden State series, right? Dwayne Wade, at this point, can't guard anybody on the court in a Golden State series. Isaiah Thomas can't guard anybody on the court in a Golden State Series. You know, Kevin Love can, you know, bang on Jordan Bell or whatever other centers out there, you know, but if they go small and they have Draymond Green out there, I mean, he's going to struggle mightily to guard him, even though his defense is better, I think, than when he got there. And he's, you know, even though his numbers aren't as good, I think he's overall improved as a player. See, yeah, if you just kind of go down the list, it's just hard to see how they are going to build a team that's going to stop them. I mean, remember, two years ago when they beat the Warriors in the finals, it took them blowing a 3-1 lead, having Draymond Green get suspended, having Harrison Barnes miss a bunch of wide-open shots – Uh, Having Steph Curry play, you know, with a part, you know, with a sprained MCL that clearly hampered him, there was a lot of stuff that had to fall into place for a team that was much better equipped to stop Golden State, uh, be able to stop Golden State enough to barely win that series. This is a much better Golden State team. It's probably a worse Cleveland team. And uh, it just, to me, I I just don't see how they have the pieces to possibly do that. That's why I I kind of, I kind of think that they just have to try to, you know, I think they can get through the East, like you said, they can beat just about any else playing Kevin Love at center I think without a ton of trouble so they probably just got to get to the finals and hope they get lucky I mean I think that's probably fairly rudimentary analysis right but I think it's probably their best chance to, to try to pull off an upset win
1: Tristan Thompson just isn't playing as well because he is central to the idea that they need to play somebody else at center if he's not that guy that he has been at, at moments defensively then and he
0: has not been oh no
1: not been good either yeah and so that, that's a big concern but there is time you know he's missed missed a bunch due to injuries so we could see that but so let's, okay, so you have Cleveland in, in Tier 2 by themselves. I have the Rockets and then the Cavs. Do you start your Tier 3 with the Rockets, or do you start it with somebody else?
0: To me, there's a whole bunch of teams in Tier 3. I would probably have Toronto, Boston, Oklahoma City, Houston, San Antonio, and Minnesota all in the same tier which is obviously pretty unwieldy, but I think those teams are all pretty similar to me in that they're all going to have great records, and they're all, you know, even Oklahoma City, after the rough start, has put it together, um, and they all have really strong things you could point to if you like them as a team and say, hey, I really like this team for this reason. But you can also point to them and say, I really don't like this team for this reason. And I, I think it, it kind of makes them all, to me, about the same because, you know, like San Antonio, right? San Antonio's got the best coach in the league. They've done a remarkable job getting LaMarcus Aldridge style back in there. They've won all these games with without Kawhi Leonard really doing anything, but they don't have much athleticism. I don't really know what their top-end ceiling is. I feel like... They're kind of just on autopilot, you know, winning games with their Spurs culture and mentality as opposed to talent on the court. You look at Houston. We've already talked about them with some of their issues with Harden in the playoffs. Toronto, you mentioned it. They're, they've changed their offense this year. They look terrific. I'm excited to go to Toronto this week and see them play Cleveland and Golden State. though now Kyle Lowry might miss the games. It could be a bummer. But can their offense transfer to the playoffs? Can DeMar DeRozan get it done in the playoffs like he has in the past? Uh, the Celtics. I don't know if their defense can hold up. I don't also trust their offense. I, I think they have kind of had a Spurs-like season where they have ex- out-executed and outworked teams in the regular season. I don't think they have another level to go to in the playoffs. Now I have concerns about them. Uh, Oklahoma City, they obviously have their, their three guys who have been very good. You know, Even if you want to say two guys, Carmelo hasn't been that good. But uh, with their supporting guys like Terrence Ferguson and Andre Robertson and you know Jeremy Grant, I mean, can these guys do enough for them to, to make to to kind of boost them up another level. Can Minnesota get anything outside of Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns? Can Towns play defense? Can Wiggins do anything more than he has? You know, so I, I think you can kind of go down through all those teams and point out real strengths and real weaknesses. And even though it's kind of an unwieldy mess, that's why to me I think they're all kind of similar teams through halfway halfway through this season.
1: I agree with you and the way that I would frame that group is reasonable conference finals teams so the way it, what that means is it yeah. depends of course on seeding. where I do not expect any of those teams in a playoff series to beat the Warriors and Cavs and then if I would include the Rockets in that but uh, of course some of these teams can beat them can beat the Rockets that's why that's actually probably your best argument to not have the Rockets in that tier is I could see OKC and some of the San Antonio more much more easily beating the Rockets than than the Warriors well, I, but the Warriors are different tier anyway so yeah, but, but all those teams, it, it depends on it depends on where they end up. So like Oklahoma City, you know, I think Oklahoma City is going to end up in the four or five series. But if you were operating on a plane where that wasn't true, where they were the six seed or where they were the three, oh yeah, I could see them running through a lot of these teams. And I actually think Oklahoma City. So since I don't have Houston in this tier has the highest ceiling of any of these teams because I believe in their defensive potential, they've also been a very good defense, but what they can do, and if you narrow their rotation, I think they can make it work. It's not perfect. They're going to have real flaws. I mean, it, the Robertson question is absolutely massive for them. Like we, we still we saw them have some of these nice big offensive games, especially in LA. And people are like, oh, they figured out their offense. You know how they figured out their offense? They didn't play the guy who the other teams don't have to defend. And so (laughs) that is a fundamentally different thing. And Robertson provides some real value for them in a lot of the series that they're going to have. So they're going to have to figure it out. But that's why it's ceiling versus expected value. I mean, Boston has had this fabulous year. And, you know, their their ceiling is high. It's just uh, so much of it is also predicated on their young guys making shots, which... Who knows? Maybe that's just who they are, but I'm not going to make that bet right now. But they're a good team. You know, Like th- as I said, they can out execute. They are very spursy in that way. And then San Antonio, I mean, their big weakness at this point is that we don't know what lineups Pop's going to trust. You know, is he going to actually go to Kawhi at power forward in moments that actually count? And just how are they going to piece this all together? Because they don't have the athleticism of some of these teams on the high end. Like, I could see them having a lot of trouble with the Thunder and maybe even the Wolves in a series. But at the same point, I can see them winning games. Like, you think back to, like, uh, whenever I worry about the Spurs' athleticism, I think back to games five and six against the Rockets, where it's just like, Yep, they, they didn't need it. You know, that Rockets team was more of a mess than they should have been. But it's going to be so much fun to see how all this shakes out. And what I like a lot about this tier, and I had this, I was... I was intrigued that we ended up with the same teams there because there's – I'm sure some people will be like, oh, the Washington should end up there. Oh, the Nuggets should end up there or something like that. No, they haven't earned it yet. But what's fun about it is a lot of these teams, there is nothing really that they can do – during the regular season, to make me trust them more, the Raptors are a perfect example of this. The Raptors have been wonderful this season, and yeah, nothing the Raptors
0: do until they're they're just like the Rockets. Nothing that matters, nothing you do matters until May,
1: right? And they've transformed nothing their offense. All. Dwayne Casey it deserves a a massive amount of credit for being as amenable as he has been to really turning this around and making them more of a ball movement team, three shooting team, and the players themselves. I mean, Derozan. We'll see if it continues beyond the last couple of weeks, but if he keeps shooting Shooting threes—that's a really big development. If they have to, if teams have to guard him out there, it opens up spacing for when other guys have the ball. And their support players have been better. I think this is the best Raptors team we have seen in franchise history, but also in this modern era. Those are one and the same with this team. And at the same point, I can't trust them in that way until we've seen it because there are elements of it where you know we've been burned before, but also elements where you know. When, they, when it gets down to it and they're forced to kind of go with what they trust the most, are they going to stay with this ball movement offense? And with any team, they're not going to see the same stress in the regular season as they are in the playoffs. So I will believe it when I see it, and that won't happen until my, maybe not even the second round. But per, I, I could be the first round with them because the bottom of the East looks better than it, than it has in the last couple.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I I frankly think the bottom of the East is stronger than the bottom of the West. And I I think that that some of those first round series could be really interesting. But yeah, like, you know, you mentioned Oklahoma City, you know, uh, Oklahoma City is built to be in the playoffs, right? They have a rotation of six or seven guys that can stack up with just about anybody. Whereas a team like Boston or San Antonio is playing 10 guys a night, and or more than that, Boston's playing 12 or 13 guys a night sometimes. That's fine to grind out games in the regular season, but in the playoffs, when rotation's shorten and your best players are out there a lot more and guys get more rest and they can play heavier minutes, that's going to favor a team like Oklahoma City, like Cleveland, you know, to an extent like Toronto, you know, as opposed to teams that are playing 9, 10, 11 guys and kind of maximizing out their, their full rotation. Minnesota can be like that too. You know, there, there are plenty of issues with the Wolves, but their starting five has been really good. And, you know, you get them in the playoffs, and if, you know, Tibbs, you know, God bless Tibbs, you know he's going to do the same thing anyway. But when those guys get more rest, they're going to they're gonna be able to play heavy, heavy minutes. So, um, yeah, I, I think those teams are all fun. And that's why, to me, even though I think the end is is most likely going to be the same as it's been the last few years, the playoffs to me are as wide open as they've been in a long time because – uh, I think that you could see really compelling series up and down the board in both conferences from the first round on, which which I think is going to make for you know a really fun April and May, if, if not a, a pretty boring June.
1: There are a lot of people who really love the first weekend of the NCAA tournament because they can have those really big, crazy upsets and all that kind of stuff. I have always been partial to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament because that's really the teams, except for the, that's actually where the upsets can be a bad thing, where it's the teams mostly that are a little bit better, but there's still some variance. And I think the second weekend of most NCAA tournaments is the parallel to the second round of the playoffs this year. And I think the second round is going to be just so much fun because. Oh, it's going to be awesome. We could see awesome. Spurs Rockets, we could see Thunder Warriors, we could see. Raptors Celtics maybe or one of those teams against the Cavs we'll see some matchup of that and then the other group that we're going to see is just who of everybody else steps up because while, while there are a lot of teams below this that frustrate me that confound me some of them can figure it out and so basically that 4-5 series a lot of those type of things so I, I'm really really excited for the second weekend and the way these next teams go could make the first the first round more fun too and so like for me the next group is hard because you can, some people might make this a big group. I'm going to make it a smaller group. And for me, you know, I call it the proof-it group, where it's two teams that I think have the potential to move into either a higher tier or separate themselves, and that's the Wizards and the Nuggets. Like, to me, the Wizards just, on pure talent, they can absolutely be in the tier above. They've had some good series. They were an unfortunate John Wall injury away from the conference finals and maybe even being competitive in the conference finals. And with the Nuggets, they're probably a little bit lower, but I just, I mean, I love watching them. We saw them last night, and their their offensive ceiling is, is impressive. And if they can get Millsat back and not lose some of this offensive fun, if he can, he can kind of see this and go, okay, I want to be a part of that machine, then I think they're firmly in this tier. They're not above that. But I think that's where both these teams are.
0: Yeah, I actually think to me that it's, that it's three teams. I would say... It is Washington, it's Denver, and it's Milwaukee.
1: That's fair. Um, that was the team I, I would, struggled with I the include, most.
0: Yeah, and I would include Milwaukee just because Giannis has clearly become one of the, at minimum, five best players in the NBA. And because of that, he has the ability to lift the, the Bucks. You know, and they're going to get Jabari Parker back. I think they, they're going to be very active, I think, at the trade deadline. I know we're not factoring in trades, but I, I think they could go add another piece. Uh, Jabari, like I said, Jabari should get back. Uh, they're still working in Eric Bledsoe. Um, there, there's a lot going on there, right? So
1: yeah, I I, for, I, I forgot that, about Jabari. I'm gonna add I'm gonna add them in this tier. I think that's completely fair. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, first. and
0: I, and and look, I think you're you're 100 right that these are all teams that if you told me that Milwaukee or Washington made the conference finals, I wouldn't be stunned. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all with the Wizards. I would be surprised a little bit with the Bucks, but they both are good enough that they should be able to get there. I mean, the Wizards are another team that's built for the playoffs. They have, you know, John Wall and Bradley Beal. You know, we talk about guys like, you know, James Harden and DeMar DeRozan not playing well in the playoffs. I mean, I know people like to harp on John Wall's Game 7 when he clearly just ran out of gas against the Celtics last year. But John Wall and Bradley Beal have repeatedly stepped up and been awesome in the playoffs. And like you said, if John Wall hadn't broke his or hurt his wrist against the Hawks, that sixty one Hawks team, they would have killed that team and gone to the conference finals for sure. Um, and, if, and if Paul Pierce's three-pointer from the corner had, you know, left his hand a millisecond earlier, I think they still probably would have won game seven in Atlanta and gone to the conference finals anyway. You, you, you look at them. I mean, they're, they're a team with they, – they, they're going to play six or seven guys, you know, probably not six guys, but they're probably going to play seven guys in the playoffs. Kelly Oubre's really stepped up. I, I think they're going to be a really, really dangerous team. And they can, there's another team that can make a move by the deadline. I, I, I talked enough about Milwaukee. Denver, I think, is kind of fascinating to me because I think they're the most locked-in team in the league league in the sense that I think they're clearly better than the teams below them and I think they're clearly not as good as the teams above them so to me I'll be unless they have another major injury no assuming hell I will be stunned if they don't just finish sixth. like I just feel they're pretty much guaranteed to be sixth and then I'll be really curious to see what happens with them in the playoffs they're obviously a fun team you know the whole Nikola Jokic experience is fun. Uh, Gary Harris and Jamal Murray are a are young, interesting backcourt. Um, they've got some other intriguing pieces. They've got the ability to make a trade if they if they want to, though I'm skeptical. Uh, they probably do need to try to shed some money, which could be interesting. So there, There's a lot of stuff going on with them, but, but I think you're right. They're, to me, they're a young team with the ability to maybe take a step farther than people think, but they have to prove to me that they can do it before I'd be willing to consider them in the same tier as the Minnesotas, the Oklahoma Cities, the the San Antonios, the Houstons. And if someone wants to say, well, why is Minnesota in this tier and Denver isn't it? It's because Minnesota has Jimmy Butler and Denver doesn't. Like for as as much as people like guys like Jokic and Murray and Harris, uh, those guys are not Jimmy Butler. They don't have a legitimate all NBA player on their team. And until one of those guys takes a real step and becomes that kind of player you know i think that they're still on another level below uh where the rest of uh where the rest of these teams are
1: i agree with you that denver is probably going to be the sixth seed overwhelmingly likely with that in mind would you be more interested in a first round Nuggets spurs series or a nuggets rocket series well, I think it
0: depends on what you want to see, right? Like, I, I feel like I feel like the Spurs are Denver's best chance to advance, which is a weird thing to say because, obviously, the Spurs have, you know, vast playoff experience and the, the Nuggets have none, right? Like, of all the – I'm trying to think. Of all the main guys on the Nuggets, I, I guess Wilson Chandler was on the last playoff team, uh, and obviously Paul Millsap, if he gets back and is healthy, was has played in the playoffs a lot. But virtually everybody else hasn't played in the playoffs at all. So, uh, you know, I think that that is, uh, I think that that's going to be a very interesting thing to kind of watch. But I just think they match up well with the Spurs. You mentioned, is Pop going to go small? He doesn't really like to go small. He would, you know, playing them would allow them to kind of play. You know Plumlee and and Millsap and Jokic, which is kind of what the the Nuggets like to do. That lack of athleticism wouldn't necessarily hurt the fact that a guy like Jamal Murray, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about hiding him somewhere because you wouldn't have to really guard anybody. But if you're talking from a pure entertainment factor, I mean, it would be it would be pretty damn fun to watch the Rockets and Nuggets score 270 points a game for five or six or seven games. I mean, that would be that would be pretty fun. So well, I guess and also, from a competition be, standpoint, that- I would say. No, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, from a competition standpoint, I would I would probably say San Antonio, but from an enjoyment standpoint, I would say Houston.
1: So the big part of that potential Rockets-Nuggets series, which I am fascinated by, it happened for a while now, is the idea of Paul Millsap as a special defender. Like We've wondered about it for a long time, and to me, what you do in that series is you put Paul Millsap on whichever center Houston is playing at that moment, and you say, okay, you and Gary Harris have to shut down the Harden- capella pick and roll like you guys aren't going to get help you guys are going to do it two on two and i don't think they can do it but if they can then you start to think about the nuggets as a very different team like even if they lose that series and kind of get a viking funeral where it's like hey they did their best they lost in six or seven games if they pull that off then i start to think about them as a very very different team moving forward and if they get yeah run no, I, off think the floor, right. I think you're right if they get totally run right. off the floor then you go okay maybe they're This group kind of like where they're happy to be there for a little bit and they can maybe piece together. And the Nuggets, I think, I still believe in what they could be long-term. There is this challenge with timing because I still, like, I mean, Jamal Murray, some of the stuff he does on the floor, particularly as a scorer, but he does some nice passes too. You're just sitting there going, if he can put all the connective tissue together, he's just such a hard guy to stop. And Jokic is phenomenal at what he does well. And Millsap is... Except for when he gums up their offense, like he he fits in so naturally with that that you're like okay if they can figure all this kind of stuff out. But then the nice part is, other than Millsap, they're really young, so they could have another shot at this. They can go in some other directions, and so I'm really excited for what the Nuggets are. And I'm sure there are people who think, oh, being in sixth then you know probably losing in the first round is a bad thing, but. I think that's a wonderful step forward for them, and, it just so I, and if they were in the East, I would be thinking about this a little differently. It's just that they have the misfortune of being in the West and we don't have a top 16 format.
0: Yeah, and 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 right, and if you know if, they, if the playoffs that were set up a little differently, I would probably have the Cavs, and it, you know I probably still have the Cavs number two anyway, just because of LeBron. But but you'd probably have the cat I'd probably have the Cavs in the lower tier than I do now. It's just that you look at them, and like you said, they're gonna they're gonna make the finals. So in my opinion, so at that point you have to kind of set things up a little differently than than you would otherwise. And you know, look, the other thing that 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 series is gonna have to show me at some point is is what do you make of Nikola Nikola Jokic as a defensive player? I mean. People like to just dismiss this because he's a really fun player to watch, but he, he's a really bad defensive player. And I, I think a fundamental question that needs to be answered, you know, not even just about him, but about the NBA in general now, is can you can you win, you know, even in today's offensive NBA, can you win big with a center that doesn't blame any defense? And he, he's not going to be a rim presence. He, he gets rebounds, but he, he's not quick laterally. He's very smart, but, you know, I I just, he's not especially big for a center. I, I don't know. I just, he is a fascinating player to me because not only is he tremendously fun to watch, but he also is just so much different than what you expect a modern star player to be that to me it will be really fascinating to see if Denver can compete at the highest level in the playoffs with him as as their core piece. So uh, I think, you know, especially when you look at him as a guy who's going to get a max contract this summer, I mean, to me, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how they do in that playoff series because you're right. that That's going to, to me, really tell a lot about the direction of this franchise and how realistic it is to think that they can be a big-time competitor down the road.
1: Their biggest pivot point might not actually be Jokic in that series. It might be Michael Malone because I brought up the idea of, oh, put Millsap in that pick, high pick and roll and make it happen. That requires a creativity and faith from a coach that we haven't really seen from Malone, and he, you know, was a part of what made the Warriors' defense, preliminarily under Mark Jackson, so good. And that was more of an effort thing. The execution of their scheme was good at that time, but it was, you know, it was a lot of different elements. And so he got sort of a defensive reputation. But the Nuggets have a lot of unusual pieces, and he is going to have to figure out the best way to do that. And to me, it's a weird circumstance because if he can't figure that out, and it's going to be hard against the Rockets or the Spurs, that to me is the sign that you, if you want to reach the ceiling as this team, you might need a different coach there. And so I agree with you that it's going to be a te- big test for Jokic, but it's a big test for Malone too.
0: Yeah, no, dude, look, they're gonna they have a lot of questions coming. They're gonna have a big a, a big old tax bill this summer that they're not gonna wanna pay, uh, judging by prior moves from ownership. So they're gonna have to do some cost cutting. They're gonna have to sign Jokic to a max. They've already signed Gary Harris. You know, Jamal Murray's already two years in. I mean they, they they've got some stuff to figure out. Um they have, you know, nine thousand power forwards on the roster that they have to try to sort through. You know, they don't have Donovan Mitchell who obviously would have been a nice piece there. So they have a lot to sort out and it's gonna be it's it's gonna be, you know, you're right. It's a big step for them to make the playoffs, assuming nothing catastrophic happens and they do. And it is going to be interesting to see how they handle it and then how they respond to whatever happens then.
1: Something that I find funny is that they are right now a half game ahead of the New Orleans Pelicans, but I just see those teams very differently because with Denver, they've had some real bad injury luck with Millsap being out, and they're figuring it out. Like I, I think they're going to be better than they have been so far. Whereas the Pelicans, other than the Solomon Hill injury and Rondo missing time, they've been you know their main guys have been around for the most part. Ad's missing.
0: When you time. consider they have a team built around it, when you consider they have a team built around Anthony Davis, and he's really been. Pretty 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 much healthy the entire season that that says all you need to know
1: so the next tier to me the the separation is where I think if they make the first round so if they make the playoffs and lose in you know six six games or so I think that's a successful season for them and I think that's really where this next group is and so for me it's the Pelicans the Pistons the Heat the Sixers, the Pacers, the, and the Blazers. I think that's, and, and that's really where that group is, of where it's teams that have a reasonable expectation of making the playoffs, but that would also be a successful season for them.
0: Yeah, I, mine's a little smaller because I would have, I, I think I would probably have Indiana and, and Philly not in that tier. Well... No, you know what? I'll just I'll have the same teams because uh, you know I, I think if Detroit had Reggie Jackson, I would I would say that you could probably put those other teams in the same tier. But th- this is kind of like that that tier three for me. This tier five where all these teams. It wouldn't surprise me if they fall out of the playoffs for a variety of reasons. And, you know, if they make it in the back half and and give one of the teams, you know, at least the East teams, you know, I think those East teams could maybe give a scare to the teams at the top. You know, Detroit, a healthy Detroit against Boston or Toronto would be, I think, a really tough series for those teams. They struggle with Detroit in the regular season already a lot. And Detroit's another team with a strong five or six guys that could really, you know, make a mess of things in the playoffs. You know, Miami has had a lot of injury, a lot of bad injury luck, but they're a team that that has a lot of pieces. You know, Philly obviously is another team where, like, it it wouldn't shock me if Philly won a series in the playoffs because Joel Embiid is that good if he's healthy. You know, Ben Simmons obviously is intriguing, though he's, you know, regressed a bit. Teams are starting to figure out he's not going to shoot outside of 12 feet. But 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 Embiid is good enough that he could swing a playoff series. I mean, they're, so you know the Pelicans are obviously a weird team. The, the Sixers are the the Blazers have McCollum and Willard. I mean, they're 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 kind of all. They're like you said, they're all teams that if they get in and win six or seven games, or you know win a couple games in a first round series, it's probably going to be looked at as success as a success, right? Portland, New Orleans, Miami maybe thinks it should be higher than that, but Detroit, Philly, Indiana. All those teams will be very happy to just make the playoffs. And so I, I do think that that puts them in kind of all in the same morass. And it will be interesting to see how, how they all shake out.
1: Part of the reason also why I have those teams separate from, let's say, like the Wizards is that I, do, I see the Wizards as being much more likely to win a playoff series than those other ones. Like I could see the Wizards ending up below, let say, Miami. I could see that happening, but I just would see Miami as less likely to win, uh, win a series. They They'll make life abysmal on whoever they face, but I just see that as something a little bit different. The Sixers are going to be, if they make the playoffs, they're, to me, going to be a part of the most or second most interesting series, pretty much whoever it's against. But There are few things I want more in the first round than a healthy or damn close to it Sixers team facing either the Cavs or the Celtics. Because either one of those series is must-see TV for the entire competitive portion of every single game. I
0: disagree with that. I I think they would get destroyed by Cleveland. I, I think Yeah, but wouldn't it be fun I, to watch? I think that, like
1: just to see how that works. Eh, no, I I, I want to see
0: them play Boston.
1: Yeah, if that's they make a the playoffs. I want that I want, want, that, to I want see. that more. I,
0: I I just think that playing a playing a veteran team led by LeBron James. I mean LeBron hasn't lost a game in the first round I think in 7 years right? There, there's a reason for that. I mean, they they get to the playoffs and they turn it on. And I, I think Philly is too sloppy. I, I think for for all of their, for all of the fun that goes with them, and look, maybe I'll look like an idiot if they play and Philly wins two or three games and it's a wild series. I would love to see Philly play Boston, though, because I think that Joel Embiid would be the best player on the court in that series. And I, if he's healthy, which is obviously a huge if with them, and I think that would be fascinating to watch. Could the Sixers... Give that give that Boston team a lot of trouble. Could Markel Fultz get back on the court by then and give them something? Could does Philly maybe swing a trade here and move Amir Johnson for? somebody, right? You know, does Embiid stay healthy? Does Simmons, you know, improve a little bit? Can Darius Sarge keep hitting threes? I mean, they have a ceiling that could allow them to really cause problems in the playoffs. And I think Brett Brown's a really good coach. Uh, So they've got a lot going for them. But I, I think obviously they're super young. And again, like the Embiid health question just hangs over this whole thing. I still don't think they'll make the playoffs because I don't trust Embiid to stay healthy. Uh, he's already on pace to play maybe 60 games, and that's with after he played basically all the first 20 games. And then I think he's missed half of the next 15. So, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting to watch, but it, it, sure, it sure would be fun if they could get in there and play the Celtics because that would be um, – or even Toronto. But but the Celtics, because because it's, a, you know, two big markets on the East Coast, got a lot of star power there, got the, the Tatum and Fultz train. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff there that – that to me, if I could draw it off, that's the series that I would love to see in the first round.
1: Also, the psychodrama between those two fan bases would be completely ludicrous. Like those, yeah, it would be great. That series would be both un, unsurviv- unlivable, and also just <laughs> life-affirming on Twitter. Because the way yeah. can you imagine what would happen if the Sixers won that series just with the way all that would go with those fan bases? Oh, like, I can't.
0: it would be it would. It would be a disaster. It'd be a total disaster. <laughs> it would be sure. completely. Be a yeah, total that's, disaster. You're
1: right. That's that's a series that I, I would just absolutely love to see. And and it's not only the the like the off the off the court stuff. That from a basketball perspective, because what Boston does is they you know they force teams into some of these circumstances. They can beat teams with execution. The Sixers just don't care. Like they'll just they'll just do their stuff and say deal with it, Boston. Like if you want to try to switch these things, if you want to do that, we'll just throw the ball to Joel Embiid in the post. We'll you know we'll we'll just and they're, and also they're both teams are so big but kind of modern big. I think that series would be just a blast and a half. I, I really, really well in, it.
0: The, in the and the Sixers and the you know Simmons. I would it'd be curious. I'd be curious to see Simmons guarding Kyrie. I mean Simmons is athletic enough that he should be able to at least kind of stick with Kyrie and you know, with his size that, you know, they they can run out lineups with six, eight guys across the board. Right. I mean, you know, they could throw Covington at Kyrie. I mean, they, they have some really interesting lineups they could throw out there. So yeah, I would, that if, if you're, I mean, it would be great to see it. And uh, it certainly would be fun from a basketball perspective. There's no doubt about it.
1: And there's no argument that the best, most interesting Cavs first round series would be Miami, right?
0: Yeah, that would be, that would be great. I mean, that would be, it would be, it would be great to see LeBron and, and Wade going back there. And, and, and also just and, the, um, the perimeter yeah, defenders
1: they have Like There are a lot of guys. I mean, James Johnson oh, so, has, you know, has a history. Uh,
0: for him. sure. If you're talking on the court too, I mean, I, I think, I think Cleveland would just roll any of those teams just because of LeBron's pass in the first round, how he just doesn't, you know, he, they, his teams are ready to play right from the jump. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, Eric is a great coach. They got a lot of, you know, kind of quirky players, you know, it it would be, it would be really, that would be fun too. I mean, if, if we're going, if we're drawing it up like that, I mean, that would be, that would be pretty good.
1: So then for me, the next tier is what I would call reasonable shot. And so what that is, is it's teams that I think you can make the argument can be in the playoffs But, you know, I would say maybe they're not favorites too. And for me, really, that's only two teams at this point. That's the Clippers and the Jazz. I know 538 has the Knicks and the Hornets there. I just, I'm not a believer that they have that reasonable shot. They have like an outside shot. If there's going to be another group, like I would split them into that kind of a group. But to me, the Jazz and the Clippers are just better teams that have been befallen by injuries. Whereas the Knicks and the Hornets just aren't as good.
0: Yep, not to try to move things along, but I, I couldn't say anything else to that. I was going to say Utah and the Clippers are in my next tier for the same reason. I-, I think both those teams, if healthy, are good enough to to make a real run. You know, I think Utah's got a higher ceiling than than the Clippers if healthy, uh, but they've had just unbelievably bad luck and they've fallen in a hole enough of a hole they might be in trouble. But uh, yeah, I think those two are in their own tier, and then then there's a-, a big group after that.
1: So yeah, I have the Hornets. Yeah, the Hornets and the Knicks is separate from that next big group, partially because they've just logged more wins. I think that's important. And the Hornets, oh, you wrote a piece about this with Kemba, that there is this open question about, like, people like us think, oh, well, it's clear cut. They, they don't really have much of a present. Just, I mean, even if even if they get the best case scenario, they're probably going to be like the eight seed and get, you know, maybe get a game or two in the playoffs. And revenue perspective, I'm sure there's some benefits to that. But so then the question becomes, should they trade Kemba Walker and will they trade Kemba Walker? And for me, those answers are pretty clearly yes and no.
0: Yeah, no, same here. I mean, I, I even though I wrote that column, I, I think you know I, I listened to your pod with Nate. And I, I'd say there's a lesson. I, I'd even go smaller percentage than Nate. I think there's a five percent chance maybe that they trade Kemba Walker, and that not that's not because they obviously I wrote a column saying they should, so I think they should. I, I just don't. I don't see them doing that. It is kind of against the way that team operates, you know, not taking a big swing. I mean, to me that, that they need to reset things and, and I, I just don't think they're going to do it. So, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be as of now in the tax next year, which I I can't see them staying there. So to me, if you could trade Kemba, get some young assets back and, you know, start to, to change your books a little bit, that's, that's definitely something that I would do.
1: Another big factor and, I talked about this a lot with the Eric Bledsoe trade, is if they did it. And again, I don't think they will. I think I put the odds at 20% in that. And, you know, one in three. No, I think I said one in three. Just because it makes so much sense. And because I think Kemba Walker is the best player on the block in terms of also not only is he a really good player, but he has two years under contract, unlike DeAndre, where it's a rental. Yes. So I could see a team just blowing them away with an offer, but so a big question with that, whether they move Kemba now or hold him, maybe move him in the summer, or anything like that, is what they prioritize. Because to me, if they say, we want to get off of some of our bad contracts, instead of saying we want to build the best asset base we can, then I'm basically just going to write them off as a franchise for a long time because you have to use those opportunities, especially when you haven't drafted particularly well, you have to use those opportunities to maybe to give yourself the best chance of finding the next Kemba Walker. Whereas like with the Suns, I think they walked out of that trade with Greg Monroe, which is an asset we've already seen to appreciate a lot. And that Bucks pick, which I've been lower on than most people, and I think I'm going to end up being right. I think that's going to end up not being that good of an asset. It'll be okay. You know, it'll be LA first or something like that. But they, if they decide to make the move, whatever they do, what they prioritize in that return is going to be massively important.
0: Yeah, and that's why the trade, I think, that's most interesting for them and one that people in the league I've talked to is is a pretty intriguing one is the one I proposed with the Knicks, where they get Frank Nilakina, their Knicks first-round pick this year, and they take on Joe Kim Noah's contract for Kemba Walker and Marvin Williams. It saves the Hornets about... Uh, eight or eight or nine million dollars between this year and next year, or it, it, they spend a little extra money just in terms of what they would be paying Williams the set of Nola the next couple of years. But they get a first round pick. They get a guy I think is a really good young player in Frank Nilakina. Their their pick would go in the tank, so they would end up with a top five pick this year. So between those three picks and Malik Monk, you've got four you know first round picks from this year's draft and next you know the 2017 and 18 drafts on the team and you, you start to move on from some of the long term commitments you have and, and really kind of start this thing over. So to me, that, that is a pretty interesting trade, but the thing about a Kemba trade too, is there just aren't a lot of teams that have a need for a point guard, you know, maybe Indiana, you could, you could talk to though. That would be, you know, just a lot of their moving on from a lot of salary, preferably um, maybe Utah, but they're not going to move Donovan Mitchell, in that kind of trade. So you're talking, you know, maybe take maybe you know, take it on, you know some money uh, again in a pick maybe but that that's not a great return so you know that that's what makes the comp trade tricky is there's not a lot of teams that are both going to have the need and the desire to give up a lot of assets for a guy who's 18 months from free agency that's why the Knicks to me are intriguing because you know I could see the Knicks saying hey we can get a New York Point Guard back here uh he'd probably immediately be the best point guard the Knicks have had and you know who knows how long and he's from the Bronx He went to Rice High School he obviously was a star at UConn, played at the Garden a million times, uh, and a a Walker-Porzingis pick-and-roll would be pretty great. So I don't think that's going to happen, but it it is an interesting thing to think about if if Charlotte did decide, in my opinion, to do the right thing and move on from Kemba and, and try to reset things.
1: That's also a trade that makes a lot more sense to do this year on that basic structure than to do it in July because the Knicks could really benefit from having Kemba Walker the rest of this season. Even if it doesn't push them all the way into like the five seed or something crazy like that, it would help them get better. They would have him for next year. They would be able to kind of build off of that. And while I think the Knicks better days are in the future, that, that would be a trade that doesn't really leverage it. And, and the Knicks right now have this problem where they've been competitive, a little bit too competitive for too long already in the season. They could really tank hard, but they already have 19 wins. So if you're you're talking about if they trade their first round pick, even right now, like let's say they like they're probably going to be picking. My instinct is somewhere between like eight and thirteen. That's nice, but it's not nearly as nice as picking in the top five. And I just don't expect them to fall. That there's even a realistic possibility that they could fall far enough to get one of the best guys in this class.
0: Yeah, we'll see over the next month. I could I could see them losing twelve of their next fifteen games or more. I mean, they, they're they're on a streak of something like sixteen out of nineteen games on the road. So uh, they they could really go off a cliff fast, um, and at that point, if they they kind of you know if they ever sit Porzingis for any stretch, they could. They could really plumb it, um, but yeah, I think you're right. Obviously, they're they're already they're they're what probably 12th right now or 13th. So you figure their best chance is probably to get to like seventh or sixth. Which again, if you could get there, like yeah, maybe you can get you know maybe you get lucky and you jump up in the lottery or whatever. But the, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. And I you know I and I think if they get Kemba if they are healthy they're a playoff team. So like, like I said, I, I think it, I I thought it was a, I thought a lot about Charlotte because I think they're probably the single worst situation in the league from an overall talent and cap standpoint. And, and so I, I I, thought I think it's the right move to make, but to your point I don't see them making it, so I, I think a lot of this is, is more academic than anything else.
1: The next tier, I draw a separation for two reasons, and so you're dealing with the bottom, but I split the bottom into two for a couple of specific reasons. One is teams that have no incentive to tank, and then the second one is the Dallas Mavericks just because I think they're a little bit better than these teams, and I'm not sure yet that Carlisle's ready to just To whatever that would be with this team, because again they have a lot of vets. I don't really know what that would be for the Mavericks. So for me, I have Brooklyn, the Mavs, and the Lakers, just because I think the Lakers are going to start jumping these teams because they don't care. Like they're just going to they'll just win games when everybody else starts trying to lose. And then I have everybody else. Though you could see, I mean, we've seen the Suns and Bulls win some games recently. If the Grizzlies ever get Mike Conley back, but my expectation is that those teams are going to all start leaning in enough that the Lakers will pass them. Yeah,
0: I think this is just Brooklyn and 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 the Mavericks, and I, I, I think both those teams are actually, I, I think Brooklyn might be, I think actually Brooklyn is better than the Knicks and the Hornets, but they've had some pretty terrible luck, uh, and they've also had terrible injury luck. I mean, if if, if Jeremy Wynn was healthy this whole season, uh, I, I think the Nets would have made the playoffs. I, I thought they were going to finish ninth before the season started, which is, uh, was one of my bold predictions for the year, which is Obviously, pretty bold given where they've been, but you look at how they've played this year. Spencer Dinwiddie has been great. Kenny, I mean, you guys talked a lot about this on on the dunkdown pod, so I don't I don't need to go into it too much. But they they've done just a remarkable job maximizing every bit they've every bit of talent they have. I think Kenny Atkinson has been brilliant. Um, I, I think you know a lot of people talk about how great a job Sean Marks has done. I, I think Kenny Atkinson has been even better. I mean, I, I really think he's been terrific. And Dallas is kind of the same way. Dallas is like what five and twenty one in games decided by five or less. I think. I mean, it's something unbelievable. I mean, if they were just 500 in those situations, which is kind of what the league average is, they would be a playoff team or close. I mean, it would be in the mix. Another credit to like your point, just how good a coach Rick Carlisle is. And that's why, you know, despite the fact that both that, you know, while they're in very different places where Brooklyn has no pick and doesn't need to tank, and or and Boston or Boston and Dallas uh, does have a pick and or does have its own pick and should be tanking or trying to. I, I think they're both going to be in about the same place because I, I think that those coaches are just going to keep coaching for eighty two games and it, it's just going to be it's going to be too hard for them to to work against that to fall much farther down the standings.
1: Another element of this to to consider is just if Seth Curry comes back because if he comes back. Who knows? I mean, that's a crazy circumstance. Let's say he comes back February 1st and... I think Dallas then just rattles off a series of wins. I don't know how their schedule looks around the All-Star. Break. I
0: don't even think that's even... I don't even think he can come back that soon, though, has he? I mean, has he even practiced once yet?
1: I don't think he has. Uh, it's crazy yeah, how I don't. Long I, mean, I, I, think,
0: I, yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, I think at this point you're talking probably not till March because you figure... Um, or at minimum after the All-Star break, so late February. I mean, he hasn't done anything yet. Uh, so I, I can't see... I mean, every time they've ramped him up, they've had to ramp them back down. So, yeah, I, I mean, look... I, I've seen Dallas in person a few times. They're pretty good. I mean, they're, they're, I'm not saying they're, they're, you know, a 50 win team or anything, but they're not, they're not like the Lakers. I mean, to me, the Lakers are awful. I mean, the Lakers have, oh, we can get to them in a minute, but the, just like, and even the Nets, like they have much more talent than even the Nets. I think they just had awful luck. I mean, if I, if you look at Dallas to me and the Clippers and the Jazz, I, I think all those teams are, are fairly close and and current talent um even though dallas doesn't have blake or even deandre you know they they've got a bunch of solid players they've just had terrible luck and so now they're stuck in a position where you know they have no shot to make the playoffs and are going to like you said kind of muddle along and probably finish somewhere between 10th and 12th in the lottery standings and you know get a late lottery pick instead of uh instead of the top five pick they could really use
1: and who knows? Maybe a good player will fall to them again. But we'll have to see. And so, so right. have to, do we'll you like, have to see. do you just have the Lakers in the mix with all the other bad teams?
0: I'm trying. Yes, I, I would say that all these teams. I mean, you could break it up a little bit if you wanted to. But yeah, I think all those teams are essentially the same. I mean, they're all dead men walking. Chicago, Sacramento. Well, I guess it'd be Chicago, Orlando, Atlanta, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Lakers, and the Grizzlies. I mean, I, I think all seven of those teams are going to end up being the seven worst teams. You know, Chicago. I think could be in the, the Brooklyn and Dallas camp. If they don't, if they weren't going to actively try to tank, which they are, I mean, I'm sure they're going to trade Nikola Mirotic by the deadline for whatever they can get. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they make some other moves too. They they are, they're going to be bad. So I, I would put them in that other tier. I, I wonder if Conley is going to come back at all. I could kind of see them saying, look, just get this Achilles thing right and chill. You know, I I don't think they're going to trade Gasol at any point, but I, I, you know, I I guess it wouldn't stun me if they did, but I'd be pretty surprised. You know, Phoenix is a mess. Sacramento is a mess. The Lakers are just bad and a mess. You know, Orlando is, I mean, you guys talked about them yesterday, too. I mean, they're a mess. And uh, um, Atlanta is clearly trying to be terrible. I mean, Travis Schlenk is doing a nice job of rebuilding the draft. I think they have three first-round picks right now in the 2018 draft. They're going to shot Bellinelli and Ursani Nenezova hard. You know, you look at a team like Denver. I mean, would Denver give up their first-round pick uh, to get off of Kenneth Farid's money for Marco Bellinelli or signing Elias Silva. That wouldn't shock me. Like some kind of deal like that. I just think that that all, all those teams at the bottom they're 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 on a, a straight line downward and and they're going to be staying there the rest of the season.
1: I'm a little bit devastated that you didn't include the idea of them acquiring Mason Plumley in that trade so we could have a Plumley brother reunion
0: <laughs> in Atlanta,
1: which would be unbelievable. Uh, would I might be... try to make that happen in the dunked on deadline deadline pod. But yeah, I, I think Schlag has done a funny. nice job of that and. I, there's a very distinct chance that Memphis ends up being the most depressing team in the league after the deadline because I expect them to trade Tyreek. It's just a good decision to make because they don't need him, and another team could use him. And then if they buy out, they
0: only want to. No, I was gonna. I was just gonna say if they, if they, from my understanding, they want a first round pick for him, and if that doesn't change, I don't think they're gonna trade him.
1: Oh, but. then then they'll end up buying him out or something. Because remember, the trade deadline's almost a month before the buyout deadline this year. So if they do that, yep. Brandon Wright, they'll probably do something with so it's going to be like all these kind of intriguing young guys but that aren't really figuring it out and mark a and they'll just be getting killed yep. every night maybe they'll just shut gasol down they'll they'll do some sort I, of i like,
0: i would have little i have little doubt that mark and mike
1: would be on an early vacation at that point some sort of like life fatigue or just like uh, frustration management. Yeah, whatever, or whatever, whatever they. Well, do. I
0: mean, look, I mean, you could just say Conley's going to rest his Achilles the rest of the oh, season. Oh, Conley, right? it's Conley. I, it's mean,
1: I I would hope that they can just take some. They can get their brilliant social media team, get somebody on it, and just be like, "What is the most yeah. intriguing thing we could use to to shelve Marcus on for the rest of this season?"
0: Yeah, I mean, it could you know, it could say you know, whatever, whatever they come up with. I mean, I don't think anybody. I mean, look, the the Suns, the Suns just told Eric Bledsoe, "Hey, go away." last year, right? I mean, they uh, they didn't even really try to pretend. They were like, yeah, Eric Bledsoe could get hurt, so we're not going to play him. It's
1: it's so unbelievable uh, so, that they did that and didn't trade him at the deadline.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you know. It's,
1: I wrote a piece on that. If, if people want to read my thoughts on that, I, I went after McDonald's yeah, on um, Real it, GM.
0: It's a good... It's a, good, it's a good piece. You should definitely go read it.
1: And so, so yeah, I think that's really really where all this is, though. And we'll see how the bottom shakes out. It's crazy to me that these teams have won more games than I've expected so far. Like, I thought we were going to see, just because the, the the looks like this draft is good, that we were going to see it. But there's still plenty of time for the bottom to drop out. And you don't generally see teams start to eat it until around the trade deadline. And I think that's still going to be true.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And I, I, I'm just very curious to see how the whole trade deadline goes. Period. I mean, you mentioned how the deadline has moved up this year from where it's been in the past. It's essentially two weeks ahead because it's now the Thursday before All Star Weekend instead of the Thursday after All Star Weekend. So it's, it, you know, the NBA initially said they're moving it up a week. They really moved it up two weeks. And, and so by doing that, at least from where it would traditionally be, so by doing that, I think they're. I think the trade deadline is going to be dead this year. You know, we mentioned how Kemba Walker. We don't think is going to get traded. We talked about this a little bit last night at dinner um, at the Warriors game. I, I just there's not any good players that are really going to be on the market. I mean, guys like Nikola Mirotic are going to be available. I mean, some you know guys like Balanelli and Ilya Silva There'll be some like contracts moved probably, but I I don't see any real difference making players getting moved unless something crazy happens. So you know, it could be it could be a pretty quiet. Could be a pretty quiet month leading up to the trade deadline. It's going to be going to be very interesting to watch.
1: It's also probably too early to see some of these teams move young guys that are interesting but not putting it together. Like let's say Marquise Chris. Like I don't think that the Suns can cut bait on Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender this early. Maybe if it was a couple weeks later they could consider it. Yeah. But so I think we're going to see those. And I also mi-
0: just don't. And I also just don't know what. I also just don't know what guys like that would bring back at this oh. point. I mean, teams oh, I have are, no idea either. Teams are teams are teams are, are so tight with their picks now and uh, teams are going to have to move picks to shed money. Frankly, a lot of picks have been traded already that it, it, you know, if you look, I mean, there, there's a lot of teams that have already moved picks, whether it's the Thunder, the Rockets, the Nats have obviously already traded their pick um you know you, there there are a lot of the lakers have traded cleveland. Their pick. uh cleveland well no cleveland has cleveland has uh theirs this year well cleveland um, isn't violated by the uh, step
1: rule but they have those obligations moving forward like that 2019 pick so like they have some flexibility they no right but, I, but, but i'm
0: like... saying i'm saying this year i just meant strictly this year's draft but yeah they've traded future picks miami's traded picks i mean there's a lot of teams that would probably be interested in making moves that can't even so um yeah it's it's going to be really interesting to, to see how it all shakes out but um but i I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say it's pretty quiet.
1: I think it's going to be quiet, too. I be we've talked for, for plenty long enough. Is there anything else you feel like we need to discuss? Uh, no, I don't think so. If people
0: want to go read my column on the whole uh, LeVar Ball-Lakers uh, situation, I wrote a column about that for the Post. Otherwise, uh, no. I, I think we've, uh, we've touched all the bases, I think.
1: I agree with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Anytime, buddy. Happy to do it. Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time to come on. You can of course read him at the Washington Post, including the Ball Lakers piece that he mentioned there and numerous other good works. And you can subscribe to his mailbag, I believe or I believe it's his mailing is every week. It's very good, kind of combining a lot of things that are going on with his own thoughts. And you can also follow him on Twitter, of course, at Tim Bontemps, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. Great to have him on and he was enthusiastic about it. I apologize for it being a little bit delayed, but I don't think that timing really affected anything in terms of the substance of what we were going to talk about. Don't know exactly where I'm going to go from the future next little bit. I have a couple of feelers out, which could be really fun probably not going to do a ton on the trade deadline because Nate Duncan and I are doing so much of that on the Dunked On Basketball podcast. And so don't really want to overlap. That's always been a part of it because I hope that there are a lot of people who listen to this who listen to my other work. So I'll maybe do something if the right guest comes in. There's some some things that I, I'd be interested in talking about. But generally speaking, I try to keep these two things separate. If you have any input, good, bad or indifferent, Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com is always the way to do that. Really do appreciate that and, and do get feedback and it's a nice way to do it. If you want to support the show, there are lots of different ways you can. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can subscribe. You can download every episode. That way you, you get it when you have it. When you, when you have it, then it tells the entities that be that you've downloaded it, which is still an important metric for us. And also you can just spread the word however you see fit. There are lots of different ways you can do that. And whatever one of them makes you happy makes me happy too. Also, in most episodes, you can check out our advertisers and you can also support m- all of my other projects. So in terms of podcasting, that is the Dunkton basketball podcast and then Warriors Watch when I feel like doing it, because fortunately this year it's m- a little bit more open. It has been less frequent during the last little while because I have a lot of other things going on in terms of writing. Real GM, including the CBA Encyclopedia. I've had some good pieces up recently. The Athletic, I have expanded beyond my Warriors work. I am now a staff writer for the entirety of the site covering cap and CBA stuff. So that will be there as well. Going to have some pieces at the sporting news too. My book, 100 Things Warriors Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And then you can also check out the Patreon that Nate and I have together, patreon.com slash Duncan And that covers... A lot of other special content, including we're calling it Danny Storytime, where I do audio versions of some of the pieces that I write when I have approval from the outlet, and I think it works as an audio piece. So it's the the content as well as my process and some of my thoughts, maybe some things even that I rejected that were going to be a part of it. So you can enjoy that. Check it out. And, of course, thank you so much for listening. Some cool stuff on the horizon. Really looking forward to it. So appreciate you being along for the ride, and it's only going to get better from here. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. Thank mm-hmm. you. Microsoft Surface Pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet all in one. It has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that could even store your Surface Pen. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash Surface Pro 8. Do it for the team. The free
0: COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up.
1: Do it for your besties and the resties.
0: It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends.
1: Do it for birthdays.
0: And help protect your family.
1: And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp out. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated
0: and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars.